Hey everyone, and welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. I'm Nikki Miller. And I'm Chris Dixon. And today we are having an amazing conversation with Chris McDonald, a national sales trainer and the president of McDonald Consulting Group. He's gonna walk us through his methodology for sales training, the evolution of sales training as it's changed with technology and how to efficiently and effectively lead and coach a great sales team. No matter what industry or, or what job you're in, what role you have, I think there's a lot that you can take away from this conversation. It's here at The One Thing, we believe that having clarity on your purpose, your big goals, your visions for success in the future, your values can inform the things that you should prioritize over time, the things that you should say yes to so that you can be productive with the goals that you set for yourself, for your organization. If you like what you hear on this podcast and you want to learn more about how you can bring these tools, these concepts of the one thing to your business, to your teams, to yourself personally, then visit theonething.com slash coaching to learn more and book a free coaching session with one of our certified coaches and trainers to bring these tools and skills to you, to your business. So let's go talk to Chris McDonald. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The One Thing Podcast. We are lucky to have Chris McDonald on with us today. And other than having a wonderful, powerful first name, Chris is also the president of the McDonald Consulting Group. And he has over 33 years of experience in sales training and executive leadership. Uh, The McDonald Consulting Group is a global training organization with a local focus, partnering with businesses and individuals in a variety of industries to help them improve the effectiveness and efficiency of their sales their management, and their organizational processes. Chris has helped to establish national training platforms for multi-layered, decentralized organizations and led teams to determine optimum results in sales, human resource, operations, and leadership development training needs. Chris is also a keynote speaker, an award-winning trainer, and a corporate coach. And he is on a mission to bring value to any company seeking organizational excellence. Chris, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. We're excited to talk to you. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, I, do I don't mind? like that I'm outnumbered this morning, guys. Two two Chris's <laughs> against one Nikki. <laughs> well, we need we need that strength to keep up with you, Nikki. That's uh, it's required. <laughs> All right, I'll let well, I'll let it slide this time. Uh, fair enough. Well, Chris, can you, can you share a little bit more of your background? Anything I missed, and you know what brought you into the world you're in today? Why you're focused so much on training and sales, leadership, etc. Absolutely happy to, Chris. Uh, it's great to see both you, Chris and Nikki. Um, so, um, and actually how we met, Chris, was at the, the goal setting retreat last November down in San Antonio, which was awesome. Uh, and by the way, all booked and scheduled for Scottsdale in October. So can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. So I started this business about 15 years ago, actually exactly 15 years ago. Prior to that, I was spent about 20 years in corporate America, mostly with Citigroup and Morgan Stanley. So McDonald Consulting Group, uh, we're an authorized licensee of Sandler. We're a global organization, sales training, leadership development. um, And I'm sure we're going to take deeper dives into that as we go. Uh, Otherwise, I could take a long time and and continue that (laughs) diatribe. So I'll turn it back to you. Well, awesome. Yeah. Well, what uh, what got you really focused on the, the sales side of things and where do you see a gap today that really needs solving? So it was interesting. I'll start that with a little with a little story. You think about how sales has changed, right? Let's go back uh, just for lack of a number, like say 30 some years, right? Which in some ways is a long time ago, in other ways, maybe not. I'll use an easy example around a commodity. 
I remember my parents, uh, this was actually 1980. So is that more than 30 years ago? Yeah, I think it is. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think I think yeah. we're at just, 20, a, yeah. just a little it, bit, Chris. Just a smidge. Not just much. A smidge. Not much. Right, not much. Just a smidge. I remember we they decided they wanted to buy this new contraption called a microwave oven, right? So this microwave oven it was at this place called Sears, and we got in our orange AMC Gremlin and we drove to Sears. Now at that point in time, who do you think knew more about the microwave, Chris and Nikki, us or that salesperson? I would imagine the salesperson. Yeah. It was, it blew us away. Three ring binder, all these stats, all these things, all this stuff. He put water in a glass and it boiled in like two minutes. We're like, there's no heating element. What's going on? And we, our minds were blown. Right. So we bought this 800 pound contraption, brought it home. By the way, I accidentally put something in tinfoil in it the next day. I thought I blew it up. That was a whole side note. It was crazy. It still worked. Now, imagine today, You basic commodity example, you want to buy a microwave oven. What's the first thing you do? Google. Yeah. You Google. You go to Amazon. You go whatever. You spend maybe five minutes, and all of a sudden, you're an SME. You're a subject matter expert. You know the BTUs. You know this. You know that. Now, are you actually going to get in your car or go someplace and buy it, or are you going to do something else? Probably just buy it online. I was going to say, it's going to get delivered for sure. Going to deliver for sure, right? So the way we buy has changed. And salespeople, and, and to your question, Chris, sometimes we think, okay, what I've always done will always work. Well, in B2B sales, for example, there was a study done by Salesforce last year that said that 72% I mean, percent of B2B buyers prefer a rep-free experience. Mm. You think about it. Right. They get salespeople involved way down the line now because they have access to so much information, stats, websites, all this different stuff. And they can compare things all day long. Then a salesperson is kind of brought in. And if that salesperson continues to just regurgitate the features and benefits and things that they've already seen, what value are they adding? Not Very much. Little. Very little. Right. Mm. So that's kind of the, it's kind of the problem. It's like what got us here may not get us there in sales and sales leadership. And how do we add how do we create a unique sales experience? That's, yeah, that's that makes key. sense. So the, the cool. concept here is like the transformation in the consumer is far more educated. The traditional role of a salesperson is to provide some of that education. But consumers coming in locked and loaded has the information they need. So to add value in the sales world, you need to play a different role. And identifying what that role is. Absolutely. So what's the behavioral change that you've seen with a salesperson? How have they had to change in order to deliver this different product? Because you're absolutely right. I mean, if I wouldn't know anything about anything, it'd take me all of five minutes to become a relative expert on it with the resources that we have now. So how does the salesperson then have to behaviorally change with the consumer? So, so Nikki, it's, it's, it's many different ways. Number one, a salesperson has to realize that prospects, people, number one, buy for their reasons, not the salesperson's, right? It's almost like um, sometimes in sales, the concept is, well, we, how do we convince someone to buy? Well, I don't know about either one of you, but I don't like to be convinced of anything typically. But if someone asks me the right questions and, I, and it makes sense, then, it would, then if it's my reasons, I feel more compelled. 
convincing someone is like walking the wrong way of an escalator. I haven't done that in a while. I don't know if I could still do it, did as a kid, but you know, that would be tough, right? So to your point is we have to be able to step back, form a, a, a good agenda for that meeting, have the right people involved in any beginning meetings to make sure the prospect understands that, okay, if, if are we a good fit to work together? Let's determine if we are. If we're not, that's okay too. But unless we find that that pain, unless we find out what they're what they're true, where they've been, where they want to go, then we're just relying on features and benefits. And you know, are we hopefully going to hit a mark? That, that's that's the, the biggest thing. So what I'm hearing is almost that you have to go back to the beginning. Like, why are you here in the first place? What is your motivation for wanting to buy the microwave, right, in this example? Well, and that motivation may change depending upon the person or or what they need it for, et cetera, right? The motivation of a family who wants to buy the microwave for their, you know, living room is different than the microwave you're buying for your college dorm. Is that what I'm hearing? 100%. And, and, that's, and that is a... Again, that, that's an example, Nikki, on a, on a basic commodity, right, which is pretty easy to see. When you switch that, whether it's long-term, um, long sales cycle B2B, whether it's uh, investment, whether it's real estate, whatever it is, it changes, and, and the dynamics will change. Um, like You just made me think about something. Like if someone says to a salesperson, no matter what they're selling in that first meeting, if they say, hey, why should I work with you? Or why should I switch to your company? Or what makes you better? What do you think most salespeople do right away when they hear that? They start vomiting their sales pitch on them. Because we have the best this, we have the best that, bada bob, you know, all this different stuff. Well, number one, they've already seen all that on the website. So what value are you adding? What if all of a sudden the salesperson did this? They said, you know what, that, that's a good question. And at, at this point, I, in our first meeting, I'm not really sure that you should work with us. You know, as much as I want to tell you what we've done with other companies or other people in similar situations, I really don't know enough about your world and what you're looking for to make a determination if, if we're a good fit to work together. So why don't we back up a little bit? Why don't we ask each other some questions to determine if we're the right fit? Then all of a sudden you have an atmosphere where it's like the prospect, it's, it, it interrupts their whole pattern because they're used to someone just like to your point, regurgitating all these things. Then it starts to become more of a consultative conversation where the prospect doesn't feel so much pressure, if you will. Yeah, forming a relationship and building some trust is some transparency there. And if you come from a place of authenticity, I mean, you are trying to do your due diligence to understand their problem to see how you can create solutions together. Absolutely. Um, because without it, then you're just basically uh, making a lot of assumptions. Um, and I, I don't know about both of you, but typically, um, the more I assume, more I can be wrong. And quite frankly, I can turn into the, um, this is obviously a rated G podcast, but the first three letters of that word assume, you can turn into that the more that you assume. I'll leave it at that. I think that. You, you're safe to say ass. That, that's fine. That, no okay, problem good. there. Right. <laughs> I'm new here, Chris. I can't say it yet. But yeah. you can say yeah. it. I can get away with it, right? But yeah, we can, we can easily turn into one if we assume too much. Well, I think the importance here too is it, it, to your point about assumptions. Um, I always think about the assumptions around sales training in general, right? And I think that you know a lot of people sort of 
interpret sales training or sales people in general. And the picture they might always get is like the wolf of wall street sales, right? This high pressure environment where they're, you know, have silver tongues and are able to, to get someone to do something that they don't want to do. And my perspective on sales, I come from a sales background. I'm come from the world of real estate. And, and I always say we're, we're never really selling anything to your point. We're really facilitating someone's needs and, and, and helping them to match whatever their motivation is. But I also believe that no matter what you do, uh, you have to have the ability to sell, right? The people who are the most successful in my experience are the ones who can sell whatever it is that they're passionate about, whether it's, you know, uh, their product or, or, or them as an influencer or author, or it's, or it's their company, whatever it might be. So how have you seen this training that you do sort of translate into the rest of your, your life and business? So uh, great question, Nikki. And, And I think to your point earlier about, about sales training and what there's, there's some perceptions around it, right? And a negative or just different perceptions around it. Oh my gosh, am I going to turn into that Wolf of Wall Street for that example? Um, and then from a sales training perspective, a lot of sales training that I've been through in the past and I've seen in the past, it's about sometimes you might see someone that's, you know, they're bouncing off the walls. You get people all excited. Do what I do. Say this technique, technique, technique. That just doesn't work. <laughs> Unless we really step back and we look at the attitudinal aspects, if we look at to look at how does that person see themselves conceptually? And Nikki, to your point, some salespeople, in order for it to work, they might have this little person on their shoulder saying, oh my gosh, well, I wouldn't buy this or I wouldn't do that. Therefore, they probably won't either. In other words, we start to think for the prospect. We start to put ourselves out there, or I can't ask them that. That's a tough question. I don't. I don't want to ask them that question. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what they'll think about that. But meanwhile, in order to sell and to sell ethically, we have to be able to get beyond our own preconceived notions, get beyond how we would buy something, and really determine, to your point earlier, what their needs are, where they want to go, and that's not easy. It's not easy at all. And then sometimes sales training um, it, it creates, like if someone says to me, Chris, we have been through sales training in the past and it did not work. I actually love hearing that, to put it bluntly, because it, it, it allows me to understand why it didn't work. Was it a one-time thing where someone came in for two, three hours and got people excited? Then 30 days later, they were like, what was that stuff? I mean, and I just wasn't comfortable with it. Let's just, no, we won't, we'll just go back to our old ways. And it's just so easy to do. That makes sense. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash O-N-E-5-0 and use code O-N-E-5-0 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. 
Yeah, I mean, I've found in can, like training uh, circumstances, engagements, mm. consulting, like the difference between being sticky with the material and not is how well you give tools that are sustainable. And like it's it's conceptually, it's really great to have an aha or hear something that sounds great in, an, in a in a one off keynote or seminar, but the difference is, do you have some tools and some things you can implement and ways to stay accountable to doing that process over time? And like, that's the distinction between like sticky and not for me on like apples to apples, good quality training. Absolutely. I mean, it's so easy to, you know, Hey, I, I, I want to do some sales training or I want to do leadership development, whatever it is. And a one-time event, it's like someone says they want to train for a triathlon coming up in a year. Well, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym two times next week and I should be ready. Well, most likely that's not going to make you ready, right? It's that ongoing reinforcement, breaking those muscles down, building it back up to your point. Good, good uh, choice of analogy. You've got a, a former professional triathlete and uh, an amateur triathlete here on the, uh, on the call with you today. <laughs> there you go. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. All I'm thinking is that I, I wish you could only go to the gym twice and be ready yeah. for it. <laughs> exactly. I, I, would, I would probably still be a triathlete if that was the case. <laughs> I can't even claim the identity anymore. It's hard, right? So, Chris, then how, how do you make your training sticky? Because I do think, you know, uh, uh, other Chris and I are both, are both trainers and have been for a long time. And I always say, you know, sort of, I, I give permission at the beginning of my training and just have a really real conversation whenever I start with people and say, listen, there's going to be a good percentage of you who sit through this entire day with me and literally do nothing with it. And if that's you, just like, just head out now. I don't want to waste a whole eight hours of your life and, uh, you know, for you to literally go home and behave exactly the same as you did when you came in this morning. And yet, if you are going to be someone who takes this training and says, this is the best thing I've ever been to and and I, I'm going to use it to change my life, behaviorally, you have to change. So how do you help bridge that gap? I, I'd love to hear how you make it sticky and how you help them get back into action. Cause that's, I'm sure what really like solidifies it. Right. Absolutely. Nikki. And, and to your point, uh, there will be some, like you, if there's people in the room now, how often with you, when you say that, do people actually get up and walk out? Only one ever. And then, and, and I was, and I'm not going to lie. I was a little taken aback because he did, he was like, you know what? You're right. I'm not in the headspace. I'm not going to take anything. And I was like, good for you, buddy. Like yeah, also like, Cheers. peace be with you. Get out. Like, exactly. Right. Right. So it, it, to your point, um, not everyone is trainable. And that person right there, that was a good decision for that person right there. They made that decision. Okay. Um, and so to your point, when, when we engage with a client in the very beginning, let's just say ABC company and they have, let's just say 20 salespeople uh, and then five sales leaders we want to put into a particular program for the first year, whatever it is. Well, in the very beginning, depending on how long the sales force has been around, depending on how long the company, where, where they're heading, there may be some that are just not trainable, right? They're just not. So we're looking through. And there's some that will always surprise senior leadership. They might say, wow, I didn't expect that person to be able to engage and, and to make the turn. So we look at it um, from a standpoint of, we call it the success triangle, attitude, behavior, and technique. Ooh, okay? I like that. So to so that, so that point, attitude is how someone sees themselves conceptually, right? Um, and it goes back to their identity and their role, their identity, their self-esteem and self-worth. Can they separate that from their role, right? Um, a salesperson during cold calls, for example. Well, anyone that says that they love cold calling probably hasn't done enough of it, right? <laughs> 
or they just they just assume they like it. It's a, it's a necessary thing and it works. But the thing is, if you're looking for your self-esteem needs, if you're looking for your self-worth needs and cold calls, it's probably not going to work, right? You're in a role. So we determine who's trainable in the beginning uh, through diagnostic assessments, depending on the situation. Um, it could be through going through the first couple of months to determine um, if they know that, hey, this is a training program that is not a one and done, that it's going to be hard at first. Um, we're going to be challenging everybody. We're going to be putting everyone to work and everything is going to um, have behaviors set around it so we can actually role play and see things in action. Now, I say the word role play. Now, most people, when they hear the word role play, they want to run to the other room, right? I mean, they, because <laughs> it's just not comfortable, right? No one likes it. Fair. I was I was told that uh, I forget I forget from whom, but they 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 coached me and said you can't say role playing anymore. It's called practice leader. I was like, okay, exactly, practice leader, <laughs> skills practice, or whatever. Yeah, exactly, because of the, the 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 negative connotation around it. You know, one of my one of my mentors a long time ago, I said to I said to him, you know, practice makes perfect. And he looked at me, he's like, don't say that. He's like, practice makes better. I'm like, ah, that makes sense. The more you practice, the better you get. So um, over time, uh, we'll have KPIs, key performance indicators, different sales behaviors, like a cookbook to be able to follow. Because too often, sales training or any kind of training fails because we're looking at results as the indicator. What are the results? What are the results? Well, the results will come provided there's behaviors. So if there's mm. specific behaviors over two, three months, guess what will follow? The results. But do if we're find, just looking at results right away. You, Chris, do you find that be habits can fall into behaviors uh, and, oh, and yeah. having powerful habits that sur surround that? So attitude, behavior, and technique, right? Those are, That's the triangle? Yep. Yeah. At, and yep, so that's inside, the triangle. inside of behavior, there's there's like probably like broader behaviors and then more like kind of systematic daily behaviors from which you you could say, hey, like here's some habits you should form, daily activities that, that follow. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and those daily activities, it could be for a salesperson's perspective, it could be uh, it could be cold calls could be one of them, depending on their business. It could be reaching out to current customers X amount of times. It could be uh, work on LinkedIn. Um, it could be going to networking functions, whatever it is. Um, and then sometimes to the to the point, looking at the one thing book behind you and being a part of the one thing community. What's that one thing? What's that lead domino? <laughs> that's going to lead to other things, right? Mm. And sometimes we're focusing on so many different things, but what's that first thing? Well, the first thing is making a decision to um, put yourself in a situation where you're in a role and not so worried about your own self-worth and people um, uh, judging you, but you're in a role. And it's, it's what, not easy. What do you think are, I know this is probably very dependent on organization, industry, and all of that, but just if there is across all application, like what are the top behaviors that you've seen lend towards success in sales and sales leadership? So sales leadership, that's, that's, it's a whole, it's, it's such an interesting question and conundrum because from a leadership perspective, you might have some leaders that say the following. They might say, I only hire experienced people. Right. 
these people have 20 years experience, or these people have, this person has 20 years of experience. Okay, well, let's break that down. Is it 20 years of experience or one year of experience 20 times over? Mm. You know, has that person grown in their, to their role? And some leaderships, some leaders may also say, well, I would just get in the way, Chris, or, or, or Nikki, I, I, I let them do what they have to do, more laissez-faire. I am here when they need me, a.k.a. I'm not really sure how to add value, so I'll just report the news and I'll run these reports and I'll give them data, but I'm not coaching them. So I think that's one of the biggest behaviors for a coach is to coach to success, to understand we have to assess where they are. We have to be able to, it's not micromanaging. I think, I think to your point, a lot of leaders fear that they're going to be looked at as a micromanager versus a coach. Chris, let me know if you see this. I find so often when when I do see managers or companies that, w- that we're coaching that are micromanaging, it's usually a clear indication to me that they don't really know how to succeed in, in the, the position of whomever it is that they're managing. And what I mean by that is that if you have clear KPIs, like if you are very crystal clear on how someone succeeds in this role, on how they you know pr- press whatever buttons they need to press in order to hit the goals that you've outlined, then you don't need to micromanage them because you can say, hey, your job is A, B, C, and D. The way that you do that is all of the bullet points underneath. Uh, and the and I find that when people start to micromanage, it's because they're really not clear themselves on on how to help that how, how to help that person succeed. Is that what you see too? Is that what you're describing? Absolutely. And 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 to that point, Nikki, it's a a coach, but there's basically to reverse engineer that a little bit, there's four hats that a leader has, right? A coach a supervisor, a mentor, and a trainer. And sometimes that supervisor hat is on way too much. Like, did you do this? Did you do that? Or check this, check that. Versus a coach by saying, Nikki, how did how do you think it went at the end of that meeting when the customer or prospect said this? How did that go? Versus the supervisor or kind of like someone, well, you should have done this. You should have done this. And, and that's more the micromanager because, you know, they're at least they're, they're, they're trying to help, but they're supervising versus coaching. They're not comfortable. Do you find a correlation between great coaches and great salespeople? Oh yeah. Great question. Um, because it's, it's that salesperson that realizes that that sales coach, their coach is there, whether it's a, um, there's some organizations we work with, they have weekly individual meetings. It could be a 15 minute meeting or specific. They know the questions they're going to be asked by their coach, right? Uh, as far as their business and they troubleshoot and they, and it's guidance, it's direction. Um, and then they know what to expect at that next meeting. It's not a reporting the news. It's not, why didn't you do this? It's tell me more about this. Right. And, and it, it helps and guides them. And I think to your point, um, that successful coach and, and, and salesperson in this example, where it gets muddied is that some leaders, instead of their business card, might say CPS. And CPS is chief problem solver. Right. 
So they go around all day just solving problems. And they feel like as a leader, I just got to solve, or Nikki, here's what you do. Or Chris, here's what you do. But the glaring problem with that is they're just going around solving problems all day. What is that doing for that, in this case, the salesperson? There's probably well, something. Because they don't know how to yeah. solve them themselves, right? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're not growing. And they become dependent on that. In the sales world, uh, I've seen this, and and Chris, I think you and I have spoken about this recently. Uh, but I've seen there's there can be a tendency to promote based on the merit of sales skills and not core competencies in and around leadership. And so, if you're not intentional about training, because there's a big difference between actually executing in the sales, which I think is important to your earlier point, Nikki, about having knowledge about what success is for that particular. Um, job that you're managing or that you're leading so that you can you can guide and help and coach and mentor. It's not required. It's helpful. But you see progression often from a success in a sales role to a sales leadership role because they were successful, but they're missing some of those core competencies when it comes to leading teams, coaching, understanding the distinction between the four hats that you mentioned, when to wear which one or, or how to use each one effectively. And what's your experience with that, Chris? And do you see that gap um, on your end in your training? Without a doubt. And it's it's easy um, for companies, again, to say, okay, this person is good in this role. So by default, he or she would be good at this leadership role. And they're put in situations too often where they're set up to fail, right? And a couple of things happen. And when it comes to goals, maybe that salesperson in that case thinks they want that, but the reason they think they want it is because they've been told, you know, you should you know, want this. But for goal setting, if you don't set your own goals, you automatically default to somebody else's. Right? That so, was deep, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> it can be. Nikki. Yeah, you automatically default to somebody else's. I remember when we, we moved to Dallas, Texas at the end of 97 uh, on a corporate reload down there. And I it was a big... Our son was eight weeks old when we moved there. It was a big deal for us. Um, and when we were there for about three years, I saw a lot of people move down there. To, that's where our corporate office was. And a lot of people were there for a couple of months realizing, you know what? Why am I here? I'm not sure I'm here. And it really hit me there. I'm here because I was told I deserve this and they moved this here. But they weren't connected to that goal and they weren't ready for it. Right? So... Some of you, it's like in baseball or any sport, some of your best managers or coaches were never the star players. Some of them were, but it's identifying those competencies and assessing for those competencies and leaders. And, and actually, to your point, having a 90-day onboarding plan for someone that gets, or a 100-day and 20-day onboarding plan for someone that goes in that leadership position um, is critically important. But sometimes it's just not a fit. Well, and to your point, Chris, I think it's also about teaching them those leadership skills, right? I say often great coaches, great leaders, they they have to be able to ask these right questions that you're outlining, right? How how did you feel that that went? How what is your goal? How do we help bridge the gap? I, I sort of always laugh when when we're coaching people one on one and they say, Well, I'm 
you know, we sort of start with some version of like, why are you here? What it is that you want to achieve? And, and, and so often they'll start with, I just need somebody to tell me what to do. And I'll say, well, then you're in the wrong place because we don't do that, right? We will help you right. discover what the best path forward is based off what it is that you want to achieve. And I think the, the best coaches, I mean, one of my favorite trainings I've ever done was with uh, an automotive company. We were doing some corporate consulting for them and they, and, and they, <laughs> Uh, I don't know anything about cars. Like I, I, the fact that I can put gas in my car is a miracle. And one of my friends was saying, how are you literally coaching them if you don't know anything about anything automotively? I said, well, I don't really need to. All I really need to know is how to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where that, where they want to be. And that's what I'm hearing from you, that that's, that those, that that's the sort of training and, and skills you're teaching to a sales leader, because to an extent, they already knew how to do that with their clients. That's why they were great at sales. And now they just need to know how to do that with people who maybe were once their peers. And I do think that there's a transition there. Absolutely. A- absolutely. And, and it's to that point, it's managing a, a, a pipeline, for example, as a salesperson is very different than managing a big overall pipeline of say 15, 20 or whatever salespeople um, and one of the things that, from a coach's perspective, we call it three P's, um, prospecting, progressing, and pruning. Those aren't our three P's, but I like those too. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we doing to grow business and prospect and get new? What are we doing to progress current ones? And then pruning, think about it from a standpoint of coaching someone to remove something from their pipeline versus almost like the... Dumb and Dumber quote from the 1994 movie uh, uh, with Jim Carrey. So you're saying there's a chance, right? (laughs) What's all this one in a million talk? (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. One of the best movies ever, actually. But uh, but yeah, and 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 also, uh, Nikki, you made me think about um, sometimes leaders. It's easy to manage in mass. Right. We come to work and we just manage in mass. We kind of treat everyone the same way. We all walk the same hallways, but our realities are different. Right. Um, we, we do a lot of work around extended a disc a disc and just understanding the different styles of people. And for a leader to recognize their people, their style and adjust their style to them. Um, it's so important instead of just managing in mass. Something that uh, I've, that stuck with me over the years and I, I see it show up for me as a leader. And for those that I, that I teach is this saying like authorship is ownership. And if you have authorship and the goals that, that you're responsible for, and you can design them, that you have some, some ownership in achieving them. And I think it speaks to what you're saying, but there is an art and a science to that from a leadership perspective, right? Because it's you, there's, there's a line, there's, there's some gray area and on one end of the spectrum, it complete authorship could be in misalignment with organizational goals. And so you have to kind of let the enough of the leash out. I hate to say that analogy, but enough of the leash out for them to be able to have that authorship, but not so much that it's it's misaligned. So there's as a as a supervisor, coach, mentor, trainer, you kind of have to walk that and give them enough to design, but you have the responsibility to tie it to the bigger organizational goals. Big time. And Chris, when you say art and science, um, one of my mentors, I was very fortunate. I've been very fortunate. I have so many good mentors over the years. Um, This is many years ago. He showed me a formula on the science side. And it says performance equals ability times motivation. 
And I remember yeah. I wrote it down 20 some years ago and you can, it's something you can Google. And of course I've Googled it, but this was, I think before a lot of Googling, <laughs> performance equals ability times motivation. And when you think about it, it is either ability or motivation or both. Like I'm a firm believer that someone says, the leader says that person is not motivated. I'm like, yes, they are. They may be motivated to sit on the couch all day or go not do anything or don't do anything, but they're motivated, right? So how do we find that out? And, and we can, depending on the time, we can talk deeper around how that formula works because it, it does work. Yeah, I mean, I think we the should expand is now, on Chris. it. Yeah, let's expand okay, on now. it. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting here waiting for you to expand on it. We want to know too. Let's do it. So let's just say, um, Sam, Nikki, I'm talking to you. You're a salesperson at ABC Company, and, and um, I'm, I'm your leader. And I, I determine what your what are the different skill sets needed for the for the job. We can go off the job description if there is one, but say if it's uh, the ability to. Um, I have high hopes for this team, by the way. Just just want to put that out there. <laughs> What's that? I said I have high hopes for this team you've designed. By the way. Oh, good, 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 good. I love it. So I, I can ask Nick a, a questions. How well do you feel that you do at qualifying or this, that, and the other? I can ask her all these questions on a scale of one to 10. And let's just say she says, well, I'm a 10 on all these different things. Okay. And what about on the motivation side? Could be things like um, comfort zones, time management, different things. Oh, I'm a 10, Chris. I'm a 10. All right. So I, I write it out the like formula. like a real performance review from me, Chris. I'm just a right. 10 in all the places. <laughs> Wanted to go any further. So and let's just say that your results aren't where they need to be, but in your mind, you're a 10 and a 10. So we write it out. So 100% times 100% is 100%. So according to what you're saying here, there's there's no reason in your mind you shouldn't be hitting your goals. And like, uh, well, yeah. So I call that the halo effect, right? So there's this halo thing. And that's not an original concept. I mean, that's, that's been around for a while, but let's just all of a sudden realize that you have all the ability and it's a, it's a 10 on the ability, but the motivation is a 50. Well, all of a sudden you do that percentage 100% times 50% is 50%. You have a 50% chance of performing your job on a regular basis. And it opens up eyes. I mean, because you're literally writing, here's the skills uh, needed. Here are the motivation factors. Um, let's look at the math and let's look at the science inside of this. And, 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 and really, when you do that, if it's ability, one of the big problems is a leader will say this. Well, Nikki... Here's what we'll do to fix it. We never does anything. Stick to what will you do? And here's what I will do. Right. And, and really, because it's, it's two different things, ability or motivation. And I'd love to hear when, Chris, when you say motivation, because I think that this, this can be challenging because I think everyone interprets motivation a little bit differently. Yeah. Right. I think sometimes when you say motivation, someone might think, well, that's someone's literal ability to wake up and drink gasoline and they're on fire. Right. And, and almost no one is like that. But I think sometimes when we see successful or high energy people, we, we sort of project that on them. They just wake up and they're motivated. And I think anyone who's achieved anything knows that that's never the case. Right. It's the people who've built a, a habitual process around their life in order to succeed. So when you say motivation, is it intrinsic motivation? Is it that they're tied to a, a, an outcome that motivates them? Is it like what we might call in our world, a big why? What is that? How do you explain that? 
So directly correlated to the big why, okay. uh, not a doubt. And, and from that standpoint, it's if you know, I mean, goal setting, again, if you don't set your own goals, become part of someone else's, obviously. And it's it really boils down to the fact that we people will perform in a manner they see themselves conceptually, going back to the attitude part as well. So to your question with behaviors, you can behave yourself out of a problem. You can behave yourself um, to to have good motivations. Like you get up in the morning, like this morning, I did not want to go down and get on my rowing machine. I have a hydro rower. I love it. I did not want to do it. I was, did not want to do it. But after I did it, I felt so much better than I actually did it. I mean, it's, uh, we all go through those things, but it's easy to skip. So when we do behaviors, we become more motivated. When we skip behaviors, our motivation starts to go away. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. So yeah, that intrinsic motivation is everything links back to our behavioral goals, not the results. Yeah, when I so performance in this example equals ability times motivation. Like that, I I, I guess for me the motivation one seems to be the more subjective because you could go to a, ability and then you could say, well, here's the core companies, the competencies or the skills required to be successful in this job. A little bit easier, not easy, but easier to quantify those. And that the motivation is kind of the intangible. And to Nikki's point, it's like kind of it, it, you can determine that or measure that different ways, but. What I was going to get to with this is that if I look at ability and motivation and, and I had to choose one, I, I think I would choose motivation and aim if to train the ability. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's to your point, ability, those are the different things that we have to determine. Are they trainable? Can this person learn these particular skills? It could be any anywhere from any type of role, from operations to sales to whatever it is, construction, doesn't matter. Do they have the skill sets and are they open to training? The motivational factors are, it could boil down to time management, which is actually those words don't go together because you can't manage time. The clock continues to click or to well, move. The way we interpret it is you can you can manage how you direct yourself within the time that you have, right? Exactly. Exactly. We can manage. It goes back to that B word. You can manage your behaviors, right? Absolutely. And 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 the tough thing is is that um, yes, you can train the ability. If we train the ability, and if the we we've addressed the motivating factors. It boils down to, can that person, like, for example, if you talk to, if I'm talking to you, Chris, and I say, Chris, let's just say um, you were habitually, you're in a job where you can't come in late, right? And you're habitually coming in late, just to give an easy example. And I say, Chris, um, I noticed that you came in at nine o'clock today. You're supposed to be in at eight o'clock. What a lot of leaders do is keep on talking. They'd say, you need to make sure that happens. Get here at eight o'clock from now on. Are we clear? And of course, you're going to say what? Did you mean Eastern time or Central time? Because I thought we were talking about Central time. No, I'm just well, as someone on Pacific time, I have a little trouble with it, to be honest. Exactly. Exactly. So the thing is, 
when 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 you're not clear, you have to be clear about it. But if I say you need to be here on time at eight o'clock Eastern time from now on, you got it. Got. What are you going to say? Got okay. Fix that, and I walk away. Right. The problem is, I should state what I expected, state what I observed, and then just be quiet. Hey, Chris, I expected you in at eight. It's now nine. Yeah. Notice that lovely (laughs) silence. There's, there's, there's a world of discovery in the silence. There's no, no question yes. about that. Yes. And then it, when I start to dive in, if it's ability, I could ask questions like, Chris, if this were to continue, how is this going to affect others? And I could say, how is this going to affect the actual task at hand? And then, Chris, how is this going to affect you? And you might start to self-discover through those questions. You know what? Yeah, I need to switch this around. And whose ideas on it? They're your ideas. What I love about this too, Chris, is I think it's so important. Everything I'm hearing you do is so question-based. And I think as leaders, it's really easy, especially when we're moving fast or we manage a lot of people to just make up stories. You know, this person doesn't come in at nine because they're lazy and they can't manage their time. And this, and we get into the, I call it the always trap. They're always late or they always do this. And slowing down for a minute to just ask questions really helps you discover. I know uh, there's been, uh, you talked about the disc profile. I'm a high D, so we can have a tendency to move fast and break things, right? And so I certainly have found myself before, you know, wanting to, being tempted to come in hot to a conversation, right? Uh, and and then, you know, at taking the time to ask the questions and really listen to what they're saying helps me discover that the story that I created is just not accurate, right? And then we can really coach and help them to come up with solutions or or sometimes the story is totally accurate and then at least you've confirmed it. And then you take the appropriate action from there. But I think it's so important that everything you're doing is just so question-based so you can really discover what it is that you're trying to find out from that person. Absolutely. So, so true. So true. We, and I'm we, a ID, by the way, 60% I, 40% D. I'm a DC, <laughs> which means that uh, I, I move fast and I and I shouldn't be around people, ironically enough, is, re- is really all that personality <laughs> says. <laughs> I love it. Wait, Chris, we talked a lot about the the individual and, and the attitude, the behaviors, the techniques that would create success for someone. And, and we've been focused really on the sales professional or the sales world, sales leadership. We talked about performance really being driven by ability and motivation, a lot of individual focus. When you think more organizationally on some of the attributes of a, of a business that could be successful, is there anything you'd offer there? I know that there's um, a model that you follow, right? For, if I believe it's the four S's that I think speak to an organization's um, characteristics or skills that if, if you could share some context there, I think it would be great. Absolutely, Chris. So uh, the four S's, we call it skills, staff, structure and strategy, right? Skills, staff, structure, and strategy. In any organization, these four S's will apply. So in no particular order, the skills, what are the skill sets needed for a particular role? Whatever those roles are, whether it's sales, operations, engineering, supply chain, whatever, um, doesn't matter. And do we have job descriptions? Do we have them laid out? Have we updated them in the last 20 years, right? And then staff, right? Um, are the people on the right seats in the bus? Um, 
do we do they need to be adjusted? Do we are we in line with their goals? And do we understand what motivates them, et cetera? And of course, you can take a deep dive in the staff. And then structure and strategy. Uh, I'll do strategy first. I mean, is the bus heading in the right direction with all the people? Does, does the bus need to uh, go turn a little bit left or right? And does marketing align with sales? And do they talk and et cetera, et cetera? And then the actual structure um, in a sales aspect is it have they always depended on an outside sales team for everything they do, for example, and never considered inside sales? Do they understand the value of, of a, a video-based or Zoom or Teams meeting and, and some of the parameters they can set up to be successful around that? Or are they kind of stuck in different ways? So, yeah, the four S's would apply to all, uh, all businesses um, at, at any given time. And today's market, or even maybe looking into where you see us going as far over the horizon, as you could see, as it relates to this uh, in sales, like what do you think of those four S's is the, the biggest deficit or opportunity? So I really think the strategy uh, from the standpoint, they're all critical, but I mean, the strategy, what is our go-to-market strategy? What is our ideal client? Do we have our ideal client profile listed out? Who do we want to do business with? Has that changed in the last five, 10 years, one year? Um, does everyone know what that is? Do we know how to go after that particular um, um, customer base? And I think with that, are we thinking about the whole virtual sales? Think about what we're doing right now on, on, this, on, this, on this meeting here. Um, our ability to that point was talking to a group not too long ago, and I asked them, um, how are you showing vulnerability in sales, right, in, in your process? Um, and we started talking about the topic and I said, how often are you in meetings with prospects? And um, this is a globally based company and two or three of them may have their videos off. Oh yeah, all, quite often. Do you ever ask them to turn their videos on? Well, no, I've, I've never done that. Well, why not? Well, I might feel rude or I might feel whatever. Well, what's the worst that could happen if you ask them to turn their video on? Well, I guess it wouldn't be that bad. So all of a sudden, over the next couple of weeks, we find them asking to turn the videos on. Nine times out of 10, they turn them on. Maybe one time out of 10, this, someone would say, well, I, actually, I'm in a messy hotel room and I really, or whatever. I, I just, you know, I, but no one's going, no one ends a meeting. But imagine walking into a, into a conference room meeting face-to-face. We're all together face-to-face. I know our viewers can't see this, but all of a sudden, and I'm in the conference room and I do this, I walk in like this with a manila folder in front of my face. I'm not going to do that. So how do we have, how do we change our strategy and, and really show some vulnerability to close and get what we want, but in a nurturing way? Yeah, the technology is a definite... Uh, consideration in that and, and the the way the future. Oh, yeah. Nikki and I had a really interesting conversation last week with uh, an author. He he wrote a book about diversity in the workplace with generations. And yeah. I think about that too and generational differences and how do you train a generation that's um, had a completely different experience than yourself and also consumer, right? How do you adapt yeah. to the consumer's needs of a generation that are very different in platforms and Things like so that. Different. So there's a lot to consider. 
I imagine sales has changed exponentially too, Chris. I mean, earlier you mentioned cold calling and I know in, in my world that used to be in the world of real estate, that used to be something that was really common. But now I, I think about myself as a consumer, if some, if someone is calling me and I don't recognize the number, I'm quite simply not answering. Uh, and frankly, I'm probably not listening to your voicemail either. I'll, I'll read the best dictation that Apple has to give and that, that's about it. Right. So how has that changed for you too? Oh, and it's in, it's incredible. I mean, it's we have to be able to adjust. I mean, obviously with caller ID, with different things, with voicemails, and it's adjusting the strategy. If like, for example, sometimes when you mentioned voicemail, I get a lot of voicemails and we all get voicemails. And if someone is saying all these different things around why you should call and, and what the company is all about, when they're prospecting, most times you don't call because you make the determination, I don't, I don't need that. Um, so it's, it's, it could be sometimes less is more, you know, Hey, Nikki, it's Chris McDonald. Um, we don't know each other. Your, your name came to me, by the way, of so-and-so. I thought it was important that we speak. If you can call me, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's someone say, Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do that. Well, is that because you've tried that several times and it didn't work? Or is that what your head is telling you? And the rhetoric is just, so in other words, it's, using different concepts and strategies because the only objective of a cold call or voicemail is there's just one objective and that's to get a conversation or a call back, right? Then there's video. There's using Vidyard or other just video based tools or messages inside of LinkedIn, um, video messages. I mean, matter of fact, video messages have, I believe an eight times more reception rate of being looked at and, and, and read or, or, watched and viewed rather than an email. And I always tell people, Chris, I don't, I don't know if this ever comes up for you in sales training, but we, we talk about that a lot in my organization and agents will say, well, I just, I just hate what I look like on video. And I'll say, well, you know, I, I don't, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but that's also what you look like in real life. So, uh, so <laughs> like, how do you, how are you helping people get over that? Hum? I mean, it's true, right? It's it's so funny. True. It's funny on here. And I'm like, well, that's, that's what you look like and sound like all the time. So whether you put it on video or not, that's, that's what you got. So might, might as well, but how are you helping people sort of bridge that gap if that's not their, their, their form of communication? Because to Chris's, uh, to the other Chris's point earlier, as technology has changed and the generations behave inside the technology, that might that might have changed for them. Like someone who, you know, maybe is a little bit older and didn't have access to videos freely on their phones all the time, that that might be very uncomfortable for them. Absolutely, and and, and the only way to get comfortable with anything is doing a lot of uncomfortable stuff, right? First and foremost, I mean, to your point, and yes, I mean, I and I, I speaking for myself. Um, I did not, this was years ago, probably four years ago, our client services uh, manager, um, who's awesome, uh, her name is Erica, uh, and my wife, Christine, who works in the business as well, they were asking me to do videos, and I didn't want to do them. I was like, I'm in front of people all the time, I, I don't want to do them. I, and I, to your point, Nikki, I just wasn't comfortable doing these minute or two videos and just recording them. And I thought to myself, wait a second, why am I not comfortable? So I just started doing them, right? And I started doing them and doing them and doing them and doing them. And all of a sudden, a month or so later, guess what? I was comfortable. And I can't ask other people to do it if I'm not comfortable doing it. But man, it was very uncomfortable at first. I just didn't want to do it. I was kicking and screaming. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. Uh, but it, it's it's got to be uncomfortable at first. 
Yeah, great. I think great point to end on there. Chris, if you could have our listeners just take away one thing from the conversation today, uh, all the things we covered, uh, but if you could have them take away one thing, uh, what would that be? I'm going to use a quote um, that uh, one of my mentors told me a long time ago. Um, what you ignore becomes more. Okay. Um, and that applies to leadership, that applies to sales, that applies to life. If we tend to ignore things and procrastinate and, and instead of adjusting course and, and, and looking at different things. So I would encourage everyone to look at things in their, in their business uh, and, and itself and what have we been ignoring and how could that become more? What do we need to do about that? Um, and with that, what got us here may not get us there. Chris, can you tell everyone how to find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our website is uh, McDonald, M-C-D-O-N-E-L-L, one N, two L's, dot Sandler, S-A-N-D-L-E-R, dot com. McDonald.Sandler.com is the easiest way. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, Chris McDonald, one N, two L's, probably the easiest way to find us. Awesome. Chris, thanks so much for being on today. Thanks for sharing all your knowledge and wisdom. It was a great conversation. Well, thank you both. Really enjoyed it, Chris and Nikki. Thank you all so much. You're welcome. All right, Nikki, Chris, thanks so much. Bye, everybody. See you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to The One Thing Podcast. If you're a bold risk taker who wants to dream big and achieve a higher level of success in your life or business, visit theonething.com. There you'll find information on one-on-one coaching, our exclusive community membership program, and customized workshops that will help you get your team or organization aligned and rowing in the same direction. That's T-H-E, the number one, dot com to start living the life you've always dreamed of today. Be sure to follow the show to stay up to date on weekly episodes, guest interviews, and more. Plus, we would love to hear from you. Send us a voice note by going to speakpipe.com slash the one thing or email us at podcast at the one thing.com. We'll see you next week.